Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. The Taoiseach says Gardaí were informed about plans to accommodate asylum seekers at the County Galway Hotel that was burnt down last week. Minister Gorman has confirmed that the Gardaí were informed in writing. Um, uh, but for whatever reason, uh, uh, that message didn't get through. He also said the government has to talk straight to people, given that far-right myths about immigration are gaining traction. Tonight, we debate the government's handling of the asylum protests and we look at how the thorny issue of migration could shape politics into 2024. Also on the programme, Donald Trump says he'll appeal a court ruling that says he's not an eligible candidate for next year's White House elections. And the gloves are off Ireland to take a legal challenge against the UK government over the controversial Troubles Legacy Act. We've received the strongest of advice from the Attorney General that the Legacy Act violates uh, fundamental human rights and violates the Convention. Taoiseach has contradicted a claim by the Garda Commissioner that the force wasn't notified of a plan to accommodate asylum seekers in a hotel in County Galway. Drew Harris made the comment yesterday at a meeting of the Policing Authority. The property at Roscahill was destroyed in a fire on Saturday night last. It was due to house international protection applicants from this week. Minister Gorman has confirmed that the Garda were informed in writing. Um, uh, but for whatever reason, uh, uh, that message didn't get through to, 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 the, to all of the right people uh, on the ground. So uh, we're going to have to review that now and perhaps um, adopt a belt and braces approach where it's not just uh, an email or a letter, but there's an email, a letter and a phone call. You know, sometimes that just has to be done. But um, the Gardaí, I, I can confirm that the Gardaí were informed in writing. Well, the Taoiseach made his comments at an end-of-year briefing where he defended his government's handling of the issue of accommodating people who are applying for asylum here and refuted claims that the border in Ireland is open. We have a big job now to do, I think, as a government uh, to uh, talk straight to people, honestly with people, and explain, them, explain to them how um, migration works because a lot of the kind of far-right myths uh, are gaining traction. Well, I'm joined by Fianna Fáil Senator Timmy Dooley, Sinn Féin TD for Cavan Monaghan, Matt Carthy, economist and lecturer Cormac Lucy, and by Siobhan O'Donoghue, Director of Uplift and Chair of Hope and Courage Collective. You're all very welcome to the programme. I want to come to you first, uh, Timmy. These comments from the Garda Commissioner yesterday, we weren't informed. We have a direct contradiction from the Taoiseach today saying there was communication made to the guards in that area, but somehow the message got a little bit lost. Is it acceptable 
Timmy Dooley in a situation that is potentially so volatile 20 months later that there's that sort of very simple basic communication failure. Yeah, it's unfortunate that it happened, but I wouldn't want it to distract uh, and take away from what really happened, which was the wanton destruction of a hotel by an individual or a group of individuals who are motivated by hate, motivated to destroy an opportunity to house people who otherwise will end up on the streets. But what does that Christmas. say, the Taoiseach saying, look, in future, we're going to have to ensure there's a belt and braces approach. What, what is that actually saying? What is that indicating about the Garda's presence around protests and accommodation centres like this? And, and I think, by and large, from what, what I have seen, the Garda in many of the rural areas have been on the ball and it has worked well. They've worked with local communities. They've tried insofar as they can to diffuse uh, tensions when they arise about these issues. And, we, you know, it's well documented. We, we, we've seen it. Um, and, and I'd hate that just one, one issue like this. Look, it is possible from time to time for a miscommunication to take place. Uh, and it shouldn't be uh, allowed to cloud the whole issue. Because I think where we really need to continue to target our communication and our messaging is to fill that void that has now starting to exist in terms of information. OK, and we're going to get to that point okay. in a minute uh, and listen to more of what the Taoiseach had to say today because he spoke quite extensively around the issue of immigration in our country. But, Matt Carthy, back to the, I suppose, the role of the Gardaí at this point, the idea of this belt and braces approach. Does that suggest that the issue around migration and people being housed, let's say, in areas around the country in old B&Bs or guest houses, that it has escalated to such a point that we now need to proactively have a guard of presence at all of these buildings. Is that where we're now at? I think it's very telling when you listen to the Taoiseach what government consider communication to be. And therein lies a lot of the source of the problems that we've seen in that they don't do meaningful consultation, they don't use meaningful communication, they don't use meaningful engagement. The, all stakeholders in a community should be engaged with when we're talking about um, uh, housing of large numbers of people who are in this country seeking refuge, seeking international protection. You think this protection. is largely a communication problem? No, it, it's a lack of communication, lack of engagement problem. So what we have um, seen, and I've seen this work well in my own community, we've had been part of resettlement um, programmes, direct provision centres. We've seen international protection people coming um, to our communities over a long number of years. And I've seen where it can be done right. And, in, and previously, when we were dealing with a Congolese resettlement programme, a Syrian re resettlement programme, for weeks, if not months in advance, all stakeholders, including the Gardaí, but also including local schools, the HSE, local authorities, okay. elected representatives, community activists, were brought together and collectively they planned out how we can make sure that this is a success okay. for those people who are coming and those people who are live, already living okay, in the community. Okay, but in areas that where there doesn't are... happen no. now. Okay, we're well, sorry to cut across you, but in areas now, sorry, Matt Carthy, where there are protests, yes. and we know there's, I think, ongoing protests in... Cork, uh, I read about objections in Donegal to you know, centres that are going to be used to uh, accommodate uh, those seeking asylum here. In areas where there are protests, where there does seem to be tensions, do we need a better guard of presence? Is, is that where but, we're at now? But this is the point I'm making, Kira. If you get all the other things right, the chances of protests are actually severely diminished. But we you, know there are a small number of very nasty agitators um, that, that want to stoke up problems. The only way that they will succeed in doing that if they're able to manipulate okay, so you don't think genuine, we're comparing genuine, apples with genuine, oranges here. genuine concerns. So in, if you want to try and avoid 
this types of scenes that we've seen in terms of the protests, you're never, you're, there's always be some who want to engage in But you're comparing activity. apples with oranges. No, Matt, no, well, no, you are. No, you're talking no. about programme refugees where you know there's a certain number coming and they're coming in the, on the 1st of May or the 30th of June. We're dealing with a, a massive amount of irregular migrants uh, that has really come about in the last two years. Huge growth. We're dealing with 100,000 Ukrainians here. So there isn't the same amount of time to that's deal with these true. issues. No, but it is, Matt. That's not true. It is. And because we don't have the same space that we'd have previously. So we're using facilities now that we would never have considered using before. Okay. And I think that's better than giving them tents and leaving them on the side Come of the on, street. Very briefly, because I just want to go back to what the teacher got to say. We were promised, not even three weeks ago, that there would be uh, intelligence-led policing. The Hope and Courage Collective has been documenting this for years. The very same people who were burning tents in Sandwich Street, who... Uh, last year who were agitating for the dub, the dub, behind the Dublin rights uh, three weeks ago are still out there widely, very openly, very freely agitating, inciting hate. So this is, we, we were promised intelligence-led uh, policing. We're not getting it. But I actually okay, want now, to really... Fairness, I think Drew Harris said about the situation in Galway, just to be clear, he said, look, this is local. There's no, no invisible hand, actually, no nebulous far right here. That's we, what he said. We, it's well known. We're very confident that the guards could see that there was information being shared within a very, very short period of time uh, when, after that um, hotel was set alight. It's, if we know it, the guards know it. It's not, they, there's, they, the Tommy Robinson, the UK fascists, was sharing stuff within ours. They, there's plenty of evidence. And if the Hope and Courage okay. Collective are monitoring it, and we're being reassured by uh, Drew Harris that they're also monitoring it. There's nothing has happened. And actually, I just want to come back on one point. There's been several places burnt over the last number of years and not one criminal prosecution has been made. But it, in parallel, the vast majority of communities are welcoming and are... are OK, are, I'm going to tease that out in a little bit more detail, but I just do want to go back because the teacher did speak at least about this at length today um, at that end of your briefing. Just listen to what he had to say about his own and indeed the government's response to the issue looking into 2024. We have a big job now to do, I think, as a government uh, to uh, talk straight to people, honestly with people, and explain them, explain to them how um, migration works, because a lot of the kind of far-right myths uh, are gaining traction. You know, the idea that we've opened borders, which is absurd. We've an open border with Northern Ireland only. Uh, we've no other open border. Um, you know, the idea that uh, Ireland is somehow um, a soft touch, that's nonsense uh, when it comes to international protection. Um, the number of arrivals is about the EU average for the last two years and was well below the EU average uh, for the preceding years. Um, and we do have a rules-based system. And I think we've allowed, and I take some responsibility for this, uh, people to uh, believe that um, the story of migration into Ireland is um, largely about Ukraine or international protection where it isn't. Um, uh, and we, we, we have to we're just going to have to spend, I think it's going to be a big, big issue in 2024. We're going to have to push back against that as a government. All right, Cormac Lucy, to come to you, the Taoiseach saying, look, this is a real communication issue and I'm taking responsibility for that, but we need to debunk some of the myths out there. There are strict, robust controls in place. It is not a soft touch. We have tight borders here in Ireland. Do you agree with him? He's talking nonsense. Uh, if you look back 25 years, if you look at... EU countries with a population in excess of 1 million. Ireland's population has grown by 40%. That is more than double the next EU state. So we have experienced and are experiencing huge population growth. Uh, the government seems unaware of this. 
the government's housing plans are for 30,000 a year. We need 60,000 a year, according to Professor Ronan Lyons. But we get this self-congratulatory talk the whole time. Uh, we are a soft touch. The Ukrainian refugees who are here are supposedly fleeing for fear of their life. We're letting them go home for Christmas. What are we, you know, what... Well, I, think, I think what the, what the teacher said, we've let people go home for short periods of time. That is not the same as saying somebody go back, live, work, function in that country and feel safe. It's it, not the it same. It undermines the very basis that we have let them in, that they are, their lives are in danger. Uh, and, and then, by the way... Cormac, I've been to Ukraine. Yeah, so... I have seen the homes where these people have been bombed out of. And I think your comments are, are quite frankly, wide of the mark to suggest somehow that we're letting them go home. Do, do you think we should tie them here? If they still have elderly parents back there who are taking a risk because they have decided to remain on, they've let their, their kids have left, they've come here to try and, and give a better life to their children. Um, the, in many cases, the, their, their husbands are on the front line. And if a woman and her two children want to go back to be with her parents, you know what, I think that's a humane approach. And, and quite frankly, anything else would be... Uh, would not be living up to our responsibilities in any shape or form. Okay, let's Sorry, we, we, we have had recent polls where nearly 50% of people say they're afraid to say what they think about immigration for fear of being shouted down. Mm. These people are here on the basis that their lives are in danger. Now we're acting like we're, we're some boarding school and you go home for Christmas and we'll see you in early January. By the way, then, when we do say you can come back, you've got to come back a day after the, the Eastern Christmas. So we're not even factoring in the fact that Ukraine is a divided society. There's maybe a third of people there who feel ethnically Russian, and they have a different church with a different Christmas, and we're bringing a deadline that's very tight on them, but okay. generous what, what, for sorry, what the What's the West. point, Cormac, that the Taoiseach made, that we have allowed the conversation around immigration to be about Ukraine and international protection? And that's actually not where the conversation should be. There are loads of positive stories of migration. You talk about a 40% increase in our population. Are you reflecting those stories in your comments there? The vast majority of immigrants into Ireland since uh, in this century, 69%, uh, are Irish people coming home, EU citizens or UK citizens. So nobody has a problem with that. My problem so is with immigration. So what's the difference, just to be clear? The, the difference is there is an, a systematic abuse of the asylum system across Europe. This, this is a quote from the former head of the German Constitutional Court, Many people come to our country, Germany, from all parts of the world for clearly non-asylum reasons. The right to asylum is being misused and in many cases applied for improperly. And OK, we... that's one person's opinion. No, but... no that, that's the head of the German Supreme Court, retired. Take the, the governor, take uh, President Macron of France. OK. We... we cannot welcome all the misery in the world. OK. The, the vast majority of people... The vast majority of communities, all communities, are welcoming, have each other's back. Most people, no matter who they are, we people have moved since time began. That's the that's that's every all of us understand that. But the point so, that Cormac's making yeah, that has been systematically abused across there, Europe, there, particularly in Ireland. I mean, I, I, 
the, the fact is that people move for different reasons and communities are welcoming. They're, and you do not hear those stories because they're not the sensational stories that actually make the headlines. And if you, I've had phone calls only from today and I live in the west of Ireland. There are communities that are organising events that are, are being rejuvenated as a result of uh, people moving to their area. That is the way, that is life. That is what happens everywhere. But there are a handful of politicians, there's a handful of, of haters, a handful of commentators who like to, to stoke fear, to turn people on each other in order to distract from the very real issues of not having people not having enough homes, people not having enough okay. services in their communities. Okay. And that's what we're fighting for, is to make, there's enough homes for every, there's enough vacant buildings in this country to house every single person who needs a home. Okay, That's Matt Carthy, we need to be talking about. Your own leader today, Mary Lou Macdonald, did a big interview with the Irish Times and she said the idea of open borders in this country is a work of fiction. So does Sinn Féin agree with Leo Varadkar then? We certainly don't want to see open borders. We want to see a managed migration system that does enrich our communities. As it, migration has enriched many of our communities in the same way that Irish emigration made many other parts of the world much better and much richer for our presence, so too can, if done right, migration to, to Ireland. And many communities have got the benefit okay, so from is, that. Is that what we have here, do you think? Well, there, there are problems that we need to recognise because if we don't recognise them, my fear is that we have created a space for those nasty agitators that I mentioned earlier on to actually make hay because they're making okay, hay so on the back the way of we genuine sorry, concern. Sorry, so what are the problems? Let's let me try to, and identify to, to those. Finish. So in terms of migration, there's migration as a result of free movement within the EU. The only way you change that is leaving the EU. I'm not hearing anybody suggesting that. There is migration as a, work, um, as a result of the permit system. People coming through either work or student um, um, per permits. That's a very strict process and very actual difficult um, to achieve. Then there's the international protection system. Part of the problem is that we now have a two-tier protection system that has been put in place since the Ukraine, uh, the, the Ukraine war. Um, and that has put pressure on the capacity of our communities to be able to, to deal with the, the entire issue. Okay, so unfortunately, would Sinn Féin change that? So here's the, here's the problem. The only criteria that is currently being used to decide where, um, where international protection residents are, or um, applicants are, are accommodated is the availability of buildings. And unfortunately, what that means to many people in communities is that a few very small people make an awful lot of money and they feel that they're left to deal with the consequences in terms of services. And what I am saying is, and what Sinn Féin are saying is, when you're dealing with these issues, you deal with the issues in terms of the capacity of services as well as the availability of buildings. So you disagree with Cormac Lucy that there is abuse of the system here? There, there is absolutely ways in which the international protection system can be improved. There are, there, because there is a system, there is a rules-based system. Part of the problem is that some of those rules aren't being, uh, aren't being implemented and adhered to in terms of government departments. So the process in the first instance takes far too long. Some people are waiting years to be told that they don't actually qualify okay, for international but the protection. That's not fair on them, on the but it before. also leads to that sense that the system is broken. Okay, the majority of people, I think, last year were processed within 18 months was, was the most recent figure. So there but there are many that are waiting years and there are also many people there. that actually went through the process had their application denied 
that are still in Ireland or the minister can't say whether they're still okay. in Ireland or not. Again, that feeds into the sense that this is a system that isn't actually operating uh, effectively. There's going to be um, local and European elections next year. We're looking at how this issue is going to play out in 2024. Do you think it's going to be one of the major issues in those elections? And can you see your party shifting its position, its policy in response to some of the concerns that we've heard voiced from people? Will it change its policy in this area? I, I think I've seen it as being a very significant issue for a while. Um, I think I would have predicted maybe 12, 18 months ago that this was going to be a big issue in the forthcoming local and European elections. I don't think the party, my party won't be changing its policy. It will be following the rules-based system that's there and any changes that will be made will be made in line with our European colleagues. There is a challenge though there's a real challenge to all politicians who believe in the system uh, to get together on this and work exactly as the Taoiseach has said, and that's something that I, I've said to the Taoiseach and to a number of politicians in, in, in recent months, that if we don't challenge what's being spun by a small group who are motivated by hatred, yeah. if we don't challenge that and fill that void, they will. So what's been spun? So the kind of things, and I saw a couple of examples of it in Clare where you know, elderly women living alone were really concerned, and young women living alone were really concerned that they to walk on a particular roadway. Because what they had been led to understand was that these were young fighting age men. Just, just try to, to work through what that means. This notion that they're invaders, um, that they're uh, some kind of Muslim invaders. They want to change our culture. Now, the reality is, the vast majority, all of them, want to find their way to Ireland or to Europe. They want a European passport. They want to work. They want to make a better life for themselves. They're leaving areas where uh, they're under death threat. Um, in some cases, it's starvation. In some cases, it's as a result of climate change. They want a better life. The same as the thousands upon thousands of Irish people that went to the UK okay, and went to the United States. that there can't States. be no restrictions. No, of course. You know, as others have said, of course there has to be restrictions. As was quoted by Cormac, you know, President Macron said, we can't you know, house all the misery of the world. That's a true statement. But if there is a rules-based system where people know that they can be processed in, 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 in an appropriate amount of time and they have a chance of being integrated okay. into a society, that's positive for us, it's positive for them. Cormac, um, but it has to be based on a set of rules. It sounds great, rules-based, but the rules aren't being applied. So that the highest number of applicants for asylum we received last year, 2022, came from Georgia. A fortnight ago, the EU admitted... Georgia to candidate status for EU membership. So this is just nonsense what's happening. People coming in, tearing up their passports in Dublin airport. Uh, no, th th there, there is systematic abuse and the authorities have been gruesomely negligent in failing to deal with okay, it. Okay, well, we, uh, first of all, we don't have evidence people are ripping up their passports. Yes, and also, we do. you can come from Georgia, we you do. can come from a safe country, Cormac Lucy, and still be, be entitled to refugee status. No, you should that that should be processed in the safe country that you first arrive at. So the state, you know, Timmy mentioned deportations. There are pitifully few deportations. And the state should not be a soft touch. But it has been a soft touch at every corner. And by the way, the very first story you, you opened up on, uh, the commissioner saying the guards hadn't been informed about this, this hotel being used. If the government were functioning properly, the commissioner would not have said that. And if the government were functioning properly, Leo Varadkar would not have said, you know, parents don't argue in front of their children, or shouldn't. And it's a sign of a breakdown if and when they do. I think okay, it's a sign of an are, open society where the commissioner that. feels that it's OK to say something that he believes to be true at the time, and then the Taoiseach corrects the record. If you're suggesting that somehow we have this totalitarian regime 
where uh, an independent police chief is unable to express what he believes to be the truth at a particular time, I'm not so sure that I want to be part of the but country that you have in mind. we're all in agreement that it's actually quite a small handful of haters who are orchestrating okay, and shaping point... an awful lot of this. OK, I want to go to the point just that Cormac raised there, where he said, you know, we have to look at why there are such a high number of people coming from Georgia, a country that is now going to potentially join the EU, a country that most people would deem as a safe country. Why are they coming to Ireland? Can you answer but that? You, is that you... a fair question? No, I think you answered it yourself, to be honest with you, that people do move, look for, and people seek uh, safety for many different reasons. But why we're discussing this is because why this issue an has Just been blown out of proportion Sorry. because of the way in which, that, because of the megaphone that we have literally, and our digital platforms, have handed a very small group of agitators and... Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want to be our existing politicians to blow this out of proportion. But, but just Cormac said there that there was that recent poll in, I think, the Sunday Independent, it was a couple of weeks ago, that suggested that there are a lot more people in Ireland with concerns with privately held views around immigration that they are not happy to publicly spout. Do you accept that? I, well, I mean, what's clear is that people have mixed feelings and often pe when people are hearing messages from the airways, from their politicians online, that it does create a narrative, a public narrative that, that, that does create some confusion. Is that and that is, what we're, that is what we've got. If you think about post-COVID, right, if you look at the explosion of online communication, the, the way in which disinformation and hate has been absolutely, has mushroomed and has not been regulated in any way. And we've been calling for many, many years uh, as have organisations across Ireland, across the EU, to turn off the recommender system that is driving content into the feeds of people, emotionally manipulating them, making okay, them Carmen, think let about information. This, this is, look at the European context. Europe is just in the last 24 hours at EU level, they've agreed to tighten up all of the rules. So this is a huge problem across Europe. But in Ireland, we have a government which is fixated on blame game politics, on public communications, no. rather than fixing problems. Yeah, we is... That was the first story we led on. And Anybody who voices problems with immigration is, is sort of obliquely tarred with the far-right brush. Our population has grown enormously. Our resources to cope with that population in housing, health, education have not grown anything like at the same pace. So and, 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 and rather than issue... deal with these problems, 
they're swept under the far right carpet. No, okay, is this, so true. is your issue That's then with saying. lack of resources, is your issue actually with housing? Is that yes. actually yes. where, you're, where your commentary should be focused on, not with immigration? Yes, housing is a central failure of this government. And the government doesn't even face up to this in terms of, just, of its ambition, in terms of the number of houses we need to build each year. Okay, as was, I'm just trying to drill down. If there were a sufficient amount of houses, would you not have the same concerns about immigration? No. So it's actually, is housing is your concern? Is housing it? is my major concern. This is bringing the, 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 the bottle to overflowing. Okay, we just to go to what's happening in the EU, because there was um, this overhaul of the asylum laws that I think was just announced today. It'll include speedier deportation. It will include more border detention centres. It's basically stricter Europe. Is this, do you think, a political stunt by the EU to get ahead of an issue that is becoming more and more volatile, more and more thorny, spoken about in more countries ahead of... European elections? Possibly, and I haven't actually got time to read the full European Commission uh, or the full com um, agreement at Council in terms of what is actually being proposed and, and there will be quite an amount of debate on this. But I think, to be frank, I think the people of Europe are demanding that you know that, that, that action is taken in, in this area. But I do think Europe has a particular issue um, in terms of the Ukraine protection programme. It's coming up for, it, it's due to expire in 2025, early 2025. So we need to have a plan for that. But we, we have this EU scheme, but we don't have uniformity in terms of how it's actually implemented. And that has created particular problems in Ireland. And the government have acknowledged that by announcing some changes to the scheme last week. Changes that I don't think are actually going to resolve the, the actual fundamental problems because... And what, what, what do you actually say in there, Matt so McCarthy? The, the fun, Changes the scheme, the, the, the not resolving problems. There's a capacity issue that government simply don't appear willing to acknowledge. And that capacity issue is resulting in the fact that today people are entering Ireland in desperate need and in desperate right of getting international protection and they're being handed sleeping bags. OK, the so what's the response that, then? Do you stop letting people into no, the country? The, the, Do you, you pause it? You, well, in terms of the Ukrainian protection programme, what we need to have is uniformity across the EU so that every state is seen to be playing its part. We all have to, but with that, it, the, there's a sense that Ireland went beyond what was required or what other states were doing and that that has added to the capacity problems that I mentioned. Remember, we had government ministers who were telling uh, you know, all of Europe, we can take up to 200,000 um, yeah, refugees but, but Sinn Féin from has Ukraine. by and large supported the government and well, the position that they've taken well, no, well, in relation well, to Ukraine. So, there's two, yeah, so you can support obviously, efforts to support the Ukrainian people. But you can also say, we want this grounded in the acknowledgement of what we have the capacity and what we can actually manage. And, and that's, that therein and that in lies fairness with is the what, problem. Yeah, and, 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 and that's what we're doing. And that's why the changes last week were about saying to Ukrainian refugees who are already domiciled in Poland or Germany or wherever, stay where you are, you're not going to get any better over here. Um, staying under the scheme that, that, that you have. And, and that's what other countries have done, and that's the right approach. Because what we were starting to see was a flow from other countries because uh, we had probably not changed our, our welfare laws as quickly as some other countries have. So that's a way of reducing the numbers that and are by coming the way, in. Tim, and I, I think don't actually see. think what government have proposed going, is going to solve that problem and could potentially make the housing issues that I, we've I, been talking I, about I, even I, worse. I, I disagree with you. And I can because say I think they, why I, I believe I, that. Yeah, and, and I can tell you why too, because if you look at what has happened in other countries, when the rules change country by country, um, the, the continued flow 
uh, changed okay. and, 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 and remained at the levels that it was at. OK, just very, very briefly, Noel Thomas, one of the councillors from Pinafoyle, who mm. made comments around um, the situation in Galway, the Taunashtick came out, your leader, and said he's going to be sanctioned. He was on radio this morning saying he's heard nothing. Yeah, because it has to go through a process. Um, and as I understand it, there is a process underway by the National Executive of the party, um, where Mr Thomas and others, um, Mr Walsh, um, uh, I assume they'll get a, a right of reply um, and they'll be dealt with in an expeditious manner. OK, there were other comments from another Fianna Fáil councillor in Cork, I understand. Is there, is there a discipline? I mean, being critical of the asylum process, is there a discipline problem now within Fianna Fáil? Is there a Look, change I think, I th in thinking at grassroots level? No, I don't think so. Um, I think for certain reasons, individuals will take a particular position when it gets difficult. What, what we need from politicians across all uh, parties and none is to recognise their role in the community to provide appropriate and adequate and true information and try to quell okay. the, whilst they may be, be well, well thought out fears where they're not valid, they need to be addressed. And I think that's where uh, the okay. role of politicians has uh, really to come forward. All right, look, we're going to have to leave that conversation there for now. I'll take a short break. Up next, the court ruling that could prevent Donald Trump from running for US president. Do stay tuned. Well, Donald Trump says he will appeal a decision by Colorado's Supreme Court that states he cannot run again for president because of his actions around the January 6th riots. The move which would remove him from the state's 2024 ballot is likely to end up at the US Supreme Court. Well, for more on this, we're joined on Skype by Larry Donnelly, law lecturer at the University of Galway. So this is really removing his name from the primaries, potentially, Larry Donnelly. But just to be clear, what exactly was the finding against Trump here? Well, this relates to a little known constitutional provision that really started off a group of legal academics, both conservatives and liberals, kind of an odd coalition. Uh, and it's Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution, uh, which says that uh, those who engaged in insurrection uh, shouldn't be uh, prohibited from thereafter serving uh, as members of Congress, uh, or in other public offices. And it was targeted at Confederate soldiers uh, in the immediate aftermath of the Civil War who might then go on to seek office. Uh, so that was the real target. Uh, so this gained some currency in academic circles and some citizens groups uh, started instituting litigation around the country in various states to see uh, whether courts would buy into this argument that Donald Trump's uh, actions on January 6th amounted to insurrection and therefore disqualified him from running. Uh, a couple of courts decided this and said, look, uh, this doesn't rise to the level. We're very uncomfortable with this for all sorts of reasons. Yet uh, the Colorado Supreme Court, which again is full of Democratic appointees, they're all Democratic appointed judges, uh, a bitterly divided decision, uh, four to three, uh, which has the effect of at least for now removing Donald Trump's name uh, from the primary and potentially general election ballots next year. But as you say, uh, this is going to go hot and heavy uh, to the Supreme Court because the clock is ticking quickly. OK, and Colorado, I don't think, is a particularly important state. Is it to Republicans if, Dem if Donald Trump were to run? But what's the timeline here, uh, Larry? And is there a possibility, given the success now in Colorado, notwithstanding that the actions failed in other states, that there will be further actions off the back of this? 
I, I think there could well be. The time frame is very tight. Uh, the state of Colorado said it, it needs to print its ballots by the 5th of January, meaning the Supreme Court would have to issue uh, a full and final decision on, on this by January 4th. Uh, I think that date might be slightly fungible, uh, but it remains to be seen. But certainly uh, advocates of this theory and people who want to keep Donald Trump uh, off the ballot uh, will be buoyed by this. But I think on the other hand, uh, I think an awful lot of Donald Trump's supporters will be uh, enraged and I think firmed up in their support uh, for the president. Uh, I also think a lot of people, and I include myself in this category, uh, have a deep sense of unease uh, about judges making the decision uh, as to who can appear on the ballot and who the people uh, can choose, because ultimately, uh, in a representative democracy, it's the people uh, who should decide. And I think that goes for a lot of people who, again, uh, like me, uh, fear the prospect of a second uh, Donald Trump presidency. So there's a few grounds on which I think uh, this decision is assailable. And I would expect, uh, for all sorts of reasons, that if it gets before the United States Supreme Court, uh, that the decision will be reversed. Well, also, you said there that the court in Colorado was predominantly made up of Democrats. The U.S. Supreme Court is predominantly conservative. That'll play in his favor, you'd have to think. You, you would. And here's where, I, again, um, the intersection and the collision that I think is impending between the political and the judicial systems uh, in the United States because of all sorts of uh, unprecedented events uh, the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, John Roberts, a member of the conservative wing, uh, does have you know very serious concerns about the institutional integrity uh, of the court. So to be frank, behind closed doors, uh, I'm sure that this is the very last thing uh, that he wants him, for him and his colleagues uh, to have to take up. But given the stakes, given the reach, given the fact that this litigation could well spread, uh, I think ultimately the apex court of the United States is going to have to weigh in on it. Okay, let me just bring this to my panel here, Cormac. Um, Larry isn't comfortable with this decision. Trump's own campaign team have said, look, this is completely undemocratic. Do you agree? I think it's leaning that way. It, it, it's interesting that the criminal charges that Donald Trump faced in Washington, D.C., which would be the most negative uh, judicial arena for him to face in terms of juries, did not accuse him of insurrection. What happened in Colorado was a short five-day hearing Cross-examination of witnesses wasn't allowed, uh, and yet they concluded that, that he was guilty of insurrection and should therefore be bumped off the, the primary ticket in Colorado. So the problem is Trump faces 91 criminal charges. That, that is not, you know, there's stuff in Georgia, stuff in Washington, stuff in New York. And the, the, the crowd that brought the charges against him in Colorado, they initiated their first actions against him in January 2016 when he had just been inaugurated. So law is now an arena of politics in the United States. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's so dangerous because Siobhan Trump was so good at sowing seeds of distrust in politics, sowing the seeds of distrust in the media, now sowing the seeds of distrust in the judiciary. But in some ways, you could nearly look at this and think he might be justified here. I mean, I just think we have to let the courts do its work and get on with it. I think the, the real thing is to uh, give people uh, in the US, uh, and it has to be the Democrats, a reason to vote for uh, for a different kind of an America. Um, they, they, the way we, if we talk up, the way we got Trump in the first place was by talking him up.
by everybody, including left, right, and center. Everybody was focused on Trump and talked him up. Everybody, there was a, it was, a, it was seen as quite funny. The, it was unbelievable. It was like not going ever going to happen. He There's got elected. There's a lot elected. of people who'd say, you know what? He just represented real America. Yeah. No. So. And I think that is really, really a really important point is that when we dismissed they, the people that he was basically manipulating um, and pretend uh, because they felt so disenfranchised because there, there wasn't a reason to vote for an alternative. They, they weren't being listened to by the Democrats. That's how he won. So if we want to, if, if there's going to be a shift in, in politics, it's going to be a democ democracy is going to be saved in the US, the Democrats better get their act together and give people a reason to vote for them. Should the courts to... be getting involved here, Matt Dooley? Should the courts be deciding whether or not a presidential candidate can run? In Ireland? Yeah. No, in the States, as they've done. Well, I'm not going... It's way above my pay grade to tell the, the state's um, judicial system how it, how it should operate. My guess is the Colorado Supreme Court felt that this was within their jurisdiction and there is an appeals mechanism that will be utilised through the, the US Supreme Court. This is going to be an issue that's going to continue for quite some time, I imagine. And as has already been indicated, there's, you know, dozens of other legal um, dramas that are going to unfold. But I agree with Siobhan, you know, we, we saw the type of divisiveness that um, Donald Trump has been able to utilise successfully previously. Um, it, it will be up to opponents of that type of politics to actually intelligently set out a different message. That's how you win in politics. You, you understand the people who you claim to and want to represent and then you effectively represent them. And you don't, you people don't be who populist. Do that, to build, the people who do that best will end up winning. And unfortunately, once previously, Donald Trump was the best at being able to um, at, least, um, a, a, at least present himself as the person who was listening to a, a very significant cohort of American yeah. well, public look, opinion. He, he is the front runner still, Timmy Dooley. We have to acknowledge that. Yeah. And hardcore voters, of course, will always remain loyal to Trump. But he has a lot of middle of the road voters yeah. that don't seem to be shifting, notwithstanding all of the charges, the 90-odd charges that are against him. And I think what you see his team package very well is that this is the institutions, these are the elites coming against the straight man Trump. Um, he has that choreographed very well. He manages to get that message out. Um, it's hard to see how that case is ultimately going to, going to work its way through. I think it, it highlights for some people who may not have known just how the judicial system works in the States, the notion of it being so politicised. Um, even law officers, certain law officers at certain levels uh, run for office. Um, Courts and politics getting too close. Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're fortunate here that we have that separation, which I think has been has, has served us really well. But look, their system is, is, is their system. I, I just think the more actions that are taken by those who are seeking to defeat him electorally uh, by using the courts as a method of beating him, I think all they're doing is increasing his chances of getting elected because they're amplifying uh, this notion that he has. There's a swamp down in Washington. I'm trying to clean it. Look at what they're doing to me. Yeah. If you re-elect me, um, I'll, get it, I'll get the job done. OK, but Larry, um, there, there was, I suppose, a lot of polling which suggested that if he was convicted of any of those charges, particularly those criminal charges against him, that a lot of those middle ground voters would move away. What are the chances now, I think that's what everybody's looking at, of any of those charges, I suppose, going through the court's system before the election. 
That, that's the great question. And, and you hear an awful lot of legal and political commentators uh, making guesses, and that's what they are, guesses, uh, as to how the timetable here. Uh, I would regard the timetables and these trial dates that have been set uh, as notional in character. Uh, the reality is Donald Trump, he's a defendant, he's charged with lots of things, uh, but he retains rights. And if you look at his track record uh, in litigation, it has always been to delay, 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 obfuscate, et cetera. Now, Jack Smith has made an interesting move in asking the Supreme Court to rule uh, in the near future uh, about this claim Trump's lawyers have raised uh, about presidential immunity. Uh, that might hasten the pace of things, but there are still a whole host uh, of delay tactics that Trump can use in the coming year. So again, this interplay between law and politics, which I agree systematically is very unfortunate, uh, is we're going to see it play out, and it's almost anybody's guess as to where it's going to lead. All right, Larry Donnell, we'll leave that conversation there for now. Certainly something we'll come back to in 2024. Uh, thank you for your time. And after the break, speaking of the court system, the Irish government confirms that it's going to sue the UK over the controversial Legacy Act. Stay with us, we'll bring you the latest. Welcome back. Well, the government has confirmed that it has launched a case against the UK over the Northern Ireland Troubles Legacy Act. It became UK law in September and includes a provision for immunity for crimes committed during the Troubles. And it would also halt inquests and civil cases into legacy offences. Well, speaking earlier today, Tanisha Michael Martin said the legislation was incompatible with the European Convention on Human Rights. Uh, these are very fundamental issues that go to the heart of the Good Friday Agreement and the architecture of the Good Friday Agreement, which is rooted in human rights. And at the time of the Good Friday Agreement, it was explicit that uh, Northern Ireland law would reflect the European Convention on Human Rights. And the government has been left with no option um, but to take this case and to initiate this case. And we've received the strongest of advice from the Attorney General that the Legacy Act violates uh, fundamental human rights and violates the Convention. Well, I'm joined again by my guests, Timmy Dooley, Matt Carthy, Cormac Lucy and Siobhan O'Donoghue. I want to come to you uh, first. You welcome this, Matt Carthy. Yes, I've been calling on both the Taunish and the Taoiseach um, to make this move and decision um, for quite some time. And um, so credit where it's due and we commend the Irish government for initiating these proceedings. They're important on two fronts. Firstly, it's important that this legislation is actually challenged for all the reasons that have been well articulated. Um, but secondly, it's important that the case was taken so to prevent the families and victims' organisations from having to go through what would be a much more arduous um, legal um, process um, in order to get to the end point of the European Court. Um, so the fact that the Irish government has taken an interstate case means it can go directly to the European Court, set out all the very valid reasons as to why this piece of legislation contravenes not only the Convention on Human Rights, but is actually in breach of the spirit of the Good Friday Agreement, but also the letter of agreements that the British government signed up to in terms of how we deal with the legacy issues arising from the conflict. OK, I just want to bring the response from the government uh, in the UK today. They challenged Dublin. They said the Irish government should urgently clarify the number of criminal prosecutions brought in Ireland since 1998 relating to 
the Troubles case. What do you make of that response? I think it's a weak response. I think it's very clear, and the Irish government, the Tánaiste, has set out very clearly how this is a breach of human rights, uh, what was envisaged in this Legacy Act. Um, the Irish government, as co-guarantors of the Good Friday Agreement, had a responsibility to challenge it, and the only way to do that is through the court system. Um, and, and let the, the UK are going decide. to fight you on it. Well, I would expect so. Um, but, but, but then let the, let the ultimate arbor, arbiter be uh, the European Court uh, of Human Rights. Um, anybody's analysis of it where you're dealing with unnatural debts and the potential uh, for that to be swept under the carpet and just say, you know, we're not going to bother, we're just going to leave that aside. That's, 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 that's undermining up the basics uh, of human rights legislation and, as the Tanishta has said, the Convention. So let, let the European Court uh, of Human Rights now address that. And I don't think the British government uh, need to be playing out their position right now. Let them make that point uh, within the court system. OK, what does it say about Anglo-Irish relations, do you think, the fact that they have come back, the fact that they've taken this action and that they've come back with that response, Cormac? Uh, I think there's a tension there. I, I think, you know, we need to remember that we've been in the peace process or had the agreement since 1998, but there have been significant tensions between the British and Irish governments along the way. And Judge Corey was a Canadian judge appointed to investigate four things, and he recommended inquiries into all four. The Irish government honoured its demand and held a Smithic tribunal. The British government refused to hold a tribunal of inquiry into the murder of Pat Finucane. Uh, very briefly, this is very difficult and it's very toxic for communities in Northern Ireland. Absolutely, and there, there's not a, a community, a party or an institution on the island of Ireland who um, were supportive of what they, uh, the British government were trying to do. The victims um, groups are absolutely like adamant about this. Um, I, was talk I was in Derry about three weeks ago talking to survivors and people who went through the Bloody Sunday and they were absolutely clear this had to be um, this had to be challenged. All right, that's it from us tonight. My thanks to all of my guests. We're back here tomorrow night at 10 p.m. See you then. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.